And so it's always exciting to hear what's happening, not just here in Kirkwood. We love our Kirkwood, but to see what God's doing and hear what he's doing around the world. And thanks to the support of this church, not just prayerfully, but, but financially as well. So we're going to continue our wonderful journey through the Bible of women of the Bible. And today is, is Abigail. Now, Abigail is, is one of the, I think, one of the great women of the Bible, but she doesn't get the play of, let's say, your Rahabs, your Ruths, your, your, your Naomi's, right? So we're going to give her the proper due that she is, uh, should be accorded. But as I think about her situation, how she stepped up, she took action, she intervened to prevent something really bad from happening. I'm reminded of a woman who was, was a heroine in World War II, but probably not in any of your history books. There's a woman who was Polish. She was a social worker. And right around the time the Nazis invaded her native country, she wasn't Jewish, but she had a lot of friends who were Jewish and saw what was going down. And she watched them, kind of heard the, you know, the Jewish people into the, the Warsaw ghetto, and it just was horrific conditions. So she said, okay, I, I can do something. I'm not going to sit by and let this happen. So she becomes a nurse and then gets permission to go in and out of the, the ghetto on a regular basis. And what the Nazis did know is that she would secretly smuggle in food and supplies and provisions to the people and then on a routine basis would smuggle out children. And it just was a, it's, it's an amazing story how she was creative and they'd hide them in sacks of clothing and, and false bottom cases and all sorts of stuff. And, and unfortunately, she was, she was found out and captured by the Nazis and sent to a concentration camp where she was treated horribly and, and tortured and even her legs were broken. It was, it was bad. But she survived. And after the war, she made it her mission to find as many of these kids and try to reunite them with her parents. Now, it's, yeah, it's amazing. And so you know, we know about Oscar Schindler, you know, Schindler's List, and he did a great work. He got about 1,200 people out, 1,200 Jewish people through his factories. This woman, Irina Sendler, got out 2,500 kids. And so she's one of those people who, who didn't just sit idly by and watch this stuff happen. At great personal cost, she, she stepped up, she intervened and made a huge difference And not just think of these kids, but their, their families and their grandkids and beyond that. So just the, the ripple effect is amazing. So we're going to look at our, our good friend, um, Abigail, today. I almost said Rachel. That would be kind of weird. Um, and, but before we do, let's go ahead and pray, and uh, we'll, we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, you are such a good and gracious God to us. You uh, treat us so much better than we deserve, and you, you give us blessings um, both uh, mentioned and, and even the ones we don't even see. Um, this great summer weather and a chance just to uh, enjoy it the opportunity to worship freely here in, uh, in Kirkwood. And thank you again, Lord, for the work that you're doing in Kenya and around the world. We pray right now that you would help us to, to set aside our thoughts and, and, and the things that might be happening later today or this week or uh, the things that we might enjoy um, outside of church, Lord, and help us to focus just for these few minutes on, on really your word, the lessons that you want to teach, and that it wouldn't be my words, Father, but I would step aside and you would speak through me to the, the hearts and minds of, of your people so that they and I can hear what you want us to, to know so we can go out and serve you more effectively. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're, we're, if you want to turn your Bibles, uh, if you happen to bring them to 1 Samuel 25, we'll have the key verses up on the, on the screens. Now, it's a 44-verse chapter, and so I don't come to late service that often, but we go to what, 3, 345? Is that our... <laughs> He's really funny. <laughs> so um, 
with no breaks. No. So, uh, yeah, so get out your Bible if you like, or if you're a young person, get out your phone, and we'll only assume you're on your, on your Bible and not doing Pokemon Go or something. So um, that'll be lovely. But for those of you who didn't wake up this morning saying, yeah, you know, I've been really ruminating and thinking about 1 Samuel and what's going on, quick background for those folks who may not be up to speed, is that this event takes place uh, chronologically around 1000 B.C., and so here we have David, the, the anointed and future king of Israel, is basically on the lamb. He is, he is in hiding, he's in exile, he's trying to get away from, from that nasty old Saul. And, um, and he, he finds himself in Judah, in kind of the wilderness of Judah, with 600 men. And these, are kind of, these, are kind of, these guys are studs. They fight, they're kind of you know, an expeditionary force, if you will. They're, um, you know, they're at his beck and call, they've done some powerful things. And what was customary back then, certainly in those kind of areas, was for someone like a David with the power and the resources and the people to take it upon themselves to protect the shepherds and the sheep and the, you know, the folks around them from marauders and thieves and, and bandits and that kind of thing. And so David and his men actually connected up with a, a group of shepherds and they, they were overseeing 3,000 sheep and there, there were 1,000 goats. I mean, so, and, and the guys, they were the, the sheep belonged to this guy named Nabal. Super loaded guy, lots of cash, you know, lots of, lots of livestock. And the other part that was very customary was for someone like David and his men who formed this wonderful wall of protection from, these, from the, the bandits and, and protected not just the sheep but the goods of, of Nabal was when it came time to shear the sheep and it's like almost harvest time, you know, bountiful greatness. Hey, we protected you. Nothing bad happened. Would you mind giving us a little, you know, a little of your bounty? Would you help share some of the stuff you have with us? We just, you know, a little appreciation. So that's kind of the background as we look into what's happening here in 1 Samuel 25. And again, not a reverse that is in your bulletin is, uh, is up on the screen and vice versa, but we're going to we're going to rock through it. But let's go ahead and meet the other characters. Besides David, we're going to meet Nabal and his wife, Abigail. Yay, the heroine of the story. And right off the bat, we learned something very interesting about our good friend Nabal and his wife. Now, the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. So this guy, uh, Nabal, if, if you look at the meaning of his name, it actually means shameless, senseless, ignorant. In fact, Nabal is an adjective, and it means disgraceful. So it's kind of a tough name to, you know, to name your kid. You know, here's, our, here's our son, Hezekiah, our daughter, Rebecca, and this guy we just call disgraceful. So uh, you can call him Nabal, all right, or whatever you want to call him. Um, but then look who he's paired with. His wife, Abigail, is right there. She's discerning. She's beautiful. It's a nice little one-two punch. But more importantly, her name means, if, so anyone here named Abigail or have an Abigail in the family just for fun? I won't call you out. No, Abigail's? Okay, sorry. Well, um, it means father's joy or father's delight. So if you're an Abigail or no an Abigail, say, hey, you're the delight of your father. That's, that's a very happy thing. But the natural question is, okay, what is a lovely lady like this doing with a complete chump like that? You know, that's womp womp for her, right? Well, very likely, and it was customary, she, uh, it was an arranged marriage. That's how most of the marriages went down. So he definitely got a much better end of the bargain. She was saddled with this kind of fellow. But, um, but he was wealthy and that was her lot in life and she just kind of was going about doing her thing and, um, and that's kind of where we start the story. So what happened was uh, David, after protecting Nabal's sheep and his shepherds, sent 10 of his young guys down to say, hey, would you go meet Nabal with complete respect and honor 
tell him what we've done, and then please ask him for, you know, to share some of the bounty and the blessings that he's been given. And it's a very festival atmosphere, and we just would love to have a little, little recompense for our work. So they go down there and they say, oh, you know, Nabal, you know, peace to you and your house and blessings to your, your, your family and all this good stuff. Hey, we protected you. Could you give us a little, you know, help us out here? And Nabal, being the piece of work that he is, dare I say was, uh, responded as such. And so we'll look here at, um, at, at 25 verse 10. And Nabal answered David's servants, who is this David? Who's the son of Jesse? You know, there are many servants out there these days who are breaking away from their masters. Let's see, who are these folks? Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've killed for my shears and then give it to men who come from, I don't know where? Who are these guys? Now, if Nabal wanted to say no, he could have just said, no, thank you, uh, bye-bye. You know, he could have said, you know, appreciate, thank you, but, you know, get out of here. No, this guy had to double down. He had to really just, just insult David, and he clearly knew who David was. It wasn't like, wait, Dave, what's, that, what, what's his last name again? Or, you know, he knew who David was. If David were here today, he'd have like millions of followers on Twitter. Like he, just, he would be a well-known guy, right? He would do healthy, healthy tweets, by the way. Um, and so, and, and, but look at that pronouns in, in verse 11. And just, we're gonna, we're gonna leave Nabal in a second, but it's important to know his character and what he's all about. So look at how selfish he is. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've killed for my shears, blah, blah, blah. You know, so it's like narcissist much, you know? So, uh, you know, he, he's, he's all about himself. And it's easy, by the way, for us to say, gosh, I am so not like Nabal, right? It's easy to say, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. You know, I, I, you know, I don't, I'm not that, my name doesn't mean disgraceful. I'm not senseless and shameless. But, but before we quickly just kind of kick him aside and, and be thankful we're not like him, you, if you take just even a quick peek at the Gospels, Jesus is pretty darn clear about where the locus of sin is. Like, like where's ground zero for sin? It's not in the action out here. It's, it starts right in the heart. It starts in the heart of you being jealous or vengeful or lustful or angry or, you know, that's where it starts and then expands out from there. Well, I think it's kind of tough for us here in America is that we kind of have our, uh, well, self-inflicted, whatever. We have kind of our sins that are okay. We have the sins that you don't do, the sins you talk about, the sins that aren't happening. And so you can present this wonderful, shiny, happy picture of, you know, we got it all together and that inside you can be just, just racked with, with just these thoughts and feelings and, and shortcomings and, and just even the, the, the sin that you just don't want to bring to the light. And in fact, it can even happen to such a, a degree that even wrapped up in the friendly confines of a, good, of a good gesture, even like even a good work, can be layers of, of sin that no one would ever see. And so I, I think about this. Last year, my family and I were fortunate enough to go to the happiest place on earth, earth Lawrence, Kansas. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, okay. So uh, I might remind you, I'm in front of a giant glowing cross, okay, if you, if you disagree. Um, but no, we were out in Anaheim, California, going to Disneyland. We were, were having fun at Disney. It's going to be a great time. And the first morning we get there, we can't wait. We get there before the park opens, and we've read the guidebooks. We've downloaded a few apps. You know how to kind of beat the lines. We're going to be fast-pass machines. It's going to be awesome. And we pull up to our parking spot, and as we're getting out of the car... I don't really want to say which daughter, it's not important, but one of my daughters, and her initials are Elizabeth. Um, so she's at camp, so what's she going to do? Um, it's part of the fun. She embarrassed me when she was three at Schnooks, I'm now going to get some payback. So, 
<laughs> yin and yang. Anyway, no, but she really did nothing wrong. But in her exuberance to get out of the car, she kind of opened up the door maybe a little bit further, a little more force. And it happened to be the little corner of the, the back of her door hit squarely right in the middle of the taillight of the car next to us. And it was just kind of like kind of crack popping sound. And she's, oh my gosh, what happened? And so we jump out and we look and it just happened to be the way it was situated. If the car was just even an inch or two away, it would have been perfect, but just that's what happened. And, and we, to fast forward, we go ahead and leave a note for the people. Hey, I'm sorry, we, we cracked your, your uh, taillight. Here's my information. If you need to get it replaced, please call us and we'll, we'll pay for it. Now, that's a good thing. We should do those kinds of things. When you do something wrong to somebody, it's nice to try to make it right. It's nice to, you know, recompense, right? Now, that's a good deed. It's nice. But I have to tell you, in my heart, as that was going on, was just a six-pack of sin. Like, it was bad. In fact, I want you to get out your fingers or, you know, you know keep an abacus or a t- calculator to keep track of these. So, first of all, I am ticked off. I am angry. I went from happy, going to get my ears, and woohoo, to suddenly, how much is this going to take? This is going to, you know, we had to find paper. We didn't, we didn't bring, like, supplies. We were going to Disneyland. So we had to find paper. We had to turn off the back of the rental agreement, and we had to find a pen, and we're writing it down. And all I'm thinking at this time is my, and my anger just start to swell up inside me, are all these people streaming by. And I'm thinking, oh, great, there's another 10 minutes in line at Splash Mountain. You know, that'll be cool. Um, and by the way, Disney apparently happens to be over here, the way I'm directing it. So, uh, yay, have fun. So, and that's just getting started. So then also, my heart wanted to not even leave the note. I, I just thought, okay, this car... And this is a fairly accurate description. It was not a Tesla. This was not a Lamborghini. This was not a beautiful sports car. This was a very old model minivan that had rust, dents, bumps, scrapes. In fact, there are already a few cracks in the existing, you know, taillight. I'm thinking, they're not even going to notice. I mean, I would give them $1,000 if they could find the new scratch that we did. You know, I'll give you, take your time. You find the scratch that we did. I mean, seriously, Right. And so I, I, I want to steal from these people. I mean, I want to not give to them, right? Here I am, Steve, active member of, of, of Green Tree. I steal from the poor. I mean, that's, that's kind of what my heart is doing that, right? It's, it's not cool, but it gets better. Then I become Mr. Judgy McJudge Pants, okay? I'm standing here, and I look at this car, and it's in horrible shape. You know, I think one of the, one of the you know, wheel caps might have been missing, hubcaps. And it's just in horrible shape. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, you have the money to go to Disneyland, but you can't fix your car? <laughs> Who do you think you are? I mean, I mean, I could not have been more haughty more quickly. It just was bad. And then I switched to pride. Okay, so we're up to three or four now. Then I get prideful because I think, you know what? I really should leave a note for the people and set an example for my daughters, you know. My dad, the honest you know, Christian man. It's like, yes, that's right, girls, here's what you do. So we're writing the note, and I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Like, I deserve, you know, the Medal of Freedom or something, just because I'm, I'm being a good person. And I really thought that was the end of it, but I'm still kind of bummed out. So that's like, what, four or so sins. We hop in the tram, and we go to Disney. We have a lovely morning. It's, it's good. But then the weather kind of turns uh, cold, colder than we expected. You know, Santa Ana winds were blowing. I don't know. So at lunch, we realized we did not dress accordingly. So I said, you know, I'll go back to the car and I'll get our sweatshirts and hoodies and stuff. I'll come back in a few minutes. So I hop on the tram. We're kind of wending our way back to the, I think we were parked in Goofy West, right? That was the name of it. And uh, odd irony, I don't know. And so, and as we're riding on the tram, I'm sitting there and, and all of a sudden, 
I become like Dr. Evil, right? You know, one million dollars, right? And I'm thinking, I wonder if the car is still there. Can you see where I'm headed with this? I wonder if the car is still there. I wonder if I could, if no one's looking, I could kind of, you know, you know <laughs> and uh, oh, no note, right? I could take the note off the windshield. They would never know. My daughters would never know. And it's like, oh. So I got to actually steal from them after all. I was really excited about that, right? So I got, I got kind of this idea of I'm going to steal from these people and take that note off the car. And then sure enough, I didn't think this part through. But later on, I thought, wow, eventually, I'm sure my daughters or Marianne would say to me, hey, honey, or, you know, dad, did those people ever call you about the, the damage to the car? And of course, I took the note off, or at least I was planning to. And I'd say, what's so weird? No, they... Uh, Weird, oddest thing. I guess they just didn't want to, you know. So I'm looking at my daughter lying to her face, you know, you know, the Pinocchio nose poking him in the eye. And and all I want to bring this up is to say, you know, it's easy for us. And I I think it's tempting to to, to look at a neighbor, to look at someone else or someone struggling in an area that you don't struggle with. Someone has something going on that you got in the bag. So it's easy to kind of write them off and say, I'm so glad I'm not them. And yet, whether it's Nabel or anyone or your neighbor, a difficult coworker, You know, we are right with them. We may not have the outward expression of some of the things that they've done. But in our hearts, it's, I mean, I hate to talk about the the darkness and the cesspool and the grossness of it all, but but that's that's our lot. That's who we are. From the very beginning, we said, God, get out of here, buddy. I don't want you. You know, from, from the very beginning, we want nothing to do with them. It's only through the grace of Jesus Christ and him living that life and taking that sin for us that we're able to, to even have a relationship and so I just ask you, what, what are those, those maybe unseen, unspoken of parts of your heart or parts of the way you operate or, or, or thinking patterns or even just, just bad thoughts that you don't want to bring to the light or maybe you do just cover over with, with good deeds or you, you cover over with busyness or by just by volunteering because they're there and, and, but God wants us not to hold on to them obviously but, but to bring them to the foot of the cross and, and, and get those dealt with and taken care of. So that was my, and by the way, someone asked it after the first service, what happened? I said, actually, the folks did call me like two days later. I didn't take, I didn't take the note. Okay, by the way, <laughs> no, just kidding. I, uh, I didn't take the note and they contacted me and they, we, we gave them a few dollars to fix their uh, taillight. And anyway, it was, it was kind of interesting. But um, in case you're hanging there the whole rest of the sermon, like what happened? Um, I had to answer that. So now, so back to, to, to Nabal. So here's the deal. Um, you know, David goes down and says, hey, we protected you. Could you help us out? And Nabal says, get out of here. Not just that, a complete insult. Just to get out of here. So the word then gets back to, to David and his men. And of course, David takes it not well. All right. David is ticked off. He is just up in arms. He is just livid. He, you've got to be kidding me. This guy, who is this guy? And so quickly he says, all right, boys, grab your swords. In fact, 400 of you. Grab your swords, we're going down Braveheart style, and we're going to take out not just Dable, but we're going to kill every male member of his family. And this is like, like SEAL Team 6 stuff. They're going to go down and just wipe him out, okay? 200 of you stay back here and guard the camp, but we're going to go have some, some bloodthirsty fun, and then we'll come back and see you later. So word of this then gets back to, to Abigail. Now, it comes through the form of one of Nabal's servants. Now, look how smart this guy is. Instead of going to Nabal, which would kind of be a fool's errand, you know, hey, Nabal, this guy's coming to get you, he goes to Abigail instead, tells her what's going on, and what's so interesting, much like Irina Sendler, look what, look what Abigail does in, in, in the heat of the moment, a lot of pressure, her, not just her husband, whether she loves him or not, 
I'm sure she had great care for the other male members of her family. And, and they're about to die. They're about to meet their demise. And so look what Abigail does. Without hesitation, then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five says of parched grain and 100 clusters of, of raisins, 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. Now, I like this next line. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal because that wouldn't do any good, right? Like, honey, uh, uh, Nabal, dear, um, remember that guy you insulted, you know, the anointed future king of Israel? Anyway, um, he's going to kill you so, and your male family members. So I'm going to go up to the, the, the hillside here and I'm going to try and stop it. I'm going to take a bunch of our goods. And uh, anyway, so I'll be back for dinner and we're, it's your favorite lamb stew. So anyway, I'll see you in a few, all right? No, she smartly holds it to herself, but I love how it shows she is not just a woman of action, but she organizes, she plans, she steps up, and she goes out, not knowing how it's going to end up. I mean, she didn't have any guarantee, even though she heard that David wants to kill her husband and, and all, her, all the men of the family. It could have been, he just saw red and, and could have taken her out, right? So she goes up, she doesn't send an emissary or an envoy. She sends all these goods and all these provisions, and then she follows up herself personally to meet with them to show her concern. And so as we go forward and then look at verse 23, and you see what she does. We skip a few verses here. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. I mean, they really make a big point of that. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Basically, she's saying, what she didn't do was, hey, my husband, he's kind of a crazy guy. You know, he, does, he flies off the handle. Please forgive him. No, it's on me and me alone. I, I, put your anger towards me. I, I'm the one who deserves the, you know, what, what he did. And that kind of puts David, you know, I don't think it's what David was expecting. And so she steps up and says, hey, can you, you know, put it all on me, not, not, your, uh, not my husband. And then she goes on. And the next few verses, and then she says, now with this present, with all these goods for your servant, from your servant, has brought to my Lord David, may they be given to the young men who follow you, basically. Now notice, she did not come and bring him specifically jewels and gold and kind of, you know, frankincense and myrrh and stuff just for him. She brought provisions for his men. So it just shows that she was going even beyond just, just, to, just to sate him. She was trying to help out and give David and his men what they should have gotten from Nabal in the first place, right? But then notice, there's a lot of my lords and lords here. So just every time you see my lord, think David. Every time you see the Lord, think of God. So please forgive the trespass of your servant for the Lord will certainly make my lord, David, a sure house because my lord, David, is fighting the battles of the Lord, God, and evil shall not be found in you as long as you live. And I love, by the way, how the New Living, so that's the ESV. I love how the New Living Translation puts that last line. It just, it's a little more kind of modern language. She says to him, the Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty. And it's because you are fighting the battles of the Lord. So, so she comes in, she gives the goods. She follows up with it by saying, me and me alone, take, you know, give it on me, not my husband. She says, please accept this gift. And then she starts to speak to David's future. She kind of starts to bless him and actually speak to how, like, David, remember what's going on. You're not here to fight the squabbly battle. Don't, don't get involved, my husband. You're gonna do great things. God has anointed you to go and lead his, his kingdom. 
you know, you, you are the guy. So, so it kind of helps write him and, oh yeah, you know, I, I don't want to be caught up in this kind of stuff, but, but it just, we get swept up in those moments. And um, what's amazing is, as we go uh, just a little bit, well, I should just hold off on that. Um, she basically rescued him ahead of time from a guilty conscience. Now, she's the one who stepped forward and said, I know it's about to go down. You're going to feel so bad. The second it's over, you're going to feel horrible. And you'll have that blood guilt on your, your heart and conscience the rest of your life. You, you don't want to be doing this. And, and it made me think about, you know, what Abigail did there. Again, she was discerning. She was smart. She planned it out. She did it herself. She didn't leave it to someone else. She took action. And it naturally begs the question for us, for, for you, for me, for, for, for Green Tree in general. What are some areas, what are some places that we need to intervene? What are some areas, what are some relationships out there where we cannot sit silent? What are some situations, whether it's at work or school or your neighborhood or amongst the family, whatever it might be, how, how is, it, is God putting on your heart to step up, to intervene, to, to not take the status quo for the way things are? And also recognizing that could be some great, great personal cost to you. And hopefully it won't be nearly as bad as what happened to Arena Sendler. But so often it's easy to take that, that simple route and just kind of be quiet and don't say anything. But, but if we're willing to do that, I even think as a church, you know, we, we always talk about it. it's so neat how God arranged it for us to have this land right in this particular area of Kirkwood and how we're situated to help facilitate community and how we can help be a force for racial reconciliation how it can be a force for biblical justice. And, and, and so it's not to answer at this moment, but to ask yourself as you go through this week, when do you need to stand up? When do you need to say something? When do you need to, to kind of borrow a page from Abigail and, and intervene on behalf of God and on behalf of his kingdom? So that brings us to our response then from our good buddy, David. So, so you have to almost imagine that she says all the stuff and she's bowing down and please don't do this. That there might have been just a moment of like, you know, what's going to happen next? You know, how are you going to respond? You, you, you didn't, shing, you know, get out of the sword and, and go after her. He was waiting for his response and it was, it was quite wonderful. In verse 32, he says to Abigail, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with, with my own hand. In other words, Thank you so much for, for, for not doing that. But even before he thanks her, what does he do? He praises God. He, he, his first words out of his mouth, thank you, Lord. Oh, my goodness. Yahweh, be praised. God, I, th- bless. that's so fantastic. Thank you for calling this woman to come and prevent me from doing something incredibly stupid. You know, thank you for, for having her intervene and, and take the steps that she did. And then what I like is basically says, thank you for not letting me be the guy who exacted vengeance. You know, if God had a resume, you know, one of his duties is vengeance, right? That's his deal. Not, we don't get a chance to, you don't say, I'm good at Microsoft Word, PowerPoint, and vengeance, right? You know, you could say that, but, but that's not for us to, uh, to that'd be cool to see a resume like that, but um, I don't know. Um, but maybe not, I don't know. So, um, but what's interesting is, is, think about the last part of that, that verse there. And I'm reminded of, you know, some of the research I did. I came across a commentary by a guy named William Garden Blakey, kind of a cool name. And listen to this and think about your own life. He says about 
Samuel 25. It is the mark of sincere and genuine godliness to be no less thankful for being kept from sinning than from being rescued from suffering. In other words, it's a glorious and godly and wonderful thing to be rescued and prevented from sinning than it than even as good or better than, than being saved from, from suffering. Now, quick step back in time. You know, obviously, I did not take the note off that car because they did call. But I think about God's own preventive providence. When I got to our car, guess where that car was? They'd already gone. So even before I got a chance to even take that note off the car that I was kind of tempted to want to do, the car was gone. And, and I'd like to think I wouldn't. I mean, I really like to think, okay, Steve Hughes, don't be that guy. Don't be so navel-rific. You know, don't, don't do that, right? But God didn't even let me, in his graciousness, he even put me in that spot to let that bad thing happen, you know, which is fantastic. And so here, David's about to do something, hopefully much worse than leaving a note or not leaving a note on a car. He's about to kill a bunch of innocent people, and this woman steps up and prevents it from happening. And um, so we looked at, the, looked at his other response then a few verses later. David received from her hand what she had brought him. Basically, thank you for the gift. And he said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and have granted your petition. So here's David, the the future king of Israel, obeying the voice of a woman he barely knew, but because she spoke on behalf of God and was, was acting in such a wonderful way, such a redemptive way, he was able to bless her and send her on her way. Now, um, the other thing I want to say before we get back to how it winds up with Nabal, because he has a little rough, he has a rough go of it here in a few, in a few verses. I think you think about David's life and, and he's done some amazing things. And so you look at how this narrative is situated in the, in the Bible and the things that have happened before and things that are going to happen afterwards. And David, when he needs to, when it's, when it's go time, you know, when he has to fight Goliath, he steps and makes it happen. When he has to step up and fight a legitimate battle, he's there and he gets these victories and he rallies his men. He does this great stuff. He's ready to make it happen. But look at this ridiculous, tiny, little, nothing of an insult from an insignificant, rather little man gets under David's skin so badly that he wants to go fly off the handle and do something horrible. And I I came across this other uh, commentary. It's, It's from the Expositor's Bible about this very passage. And it talks about David. And I thought... Think about your life in, in, in these terms, how we're so good on the stuff that we're, we're ready for. We think this is going to be a battle. We're really girded and make, ready to make it happen. And then other areas like that's no big deal, nothing, nothing to worry about there, and how that often is the thing that, that leads to our downfall. So, so look what they say here in the, in the commentary. In the presence of a great enemy, the utmost vigilance is maintained. Every effort is strained. Every stimulus is applied. Like, like you, you're in it, you make, you make it happen. And yet, in the presence of a small foe, the, the spirit of confidence, the sense of security, is liable to leave every avenue unguarded and lead to a certain downfall. So, so here's David, ready to fight the big stuff, but then, but then almost not really, does, is he leaning on the Lord for the little stuff as much as the big stuff? And so, again, just ask the question, you know, Think about your posture towards God, your relationship with him, how close you feel when you're about to face something really difficult, maybe a really difficult thing at home. You have a huge job interview. You have something that you just, I can't even handle this, Lord, it's too much for me. What do we do? We go running to him as we should with, with an accepting love and arms and, and, and provision. And God, thank you so much. I, I need you. And yet other parts of our life are like, eh, I got this. Thank you. You can take a day off there, God, I got this, 
right? And it's often those little things, just like David, that, that are the stumbling blocks that, 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 that truly trip us up. And so think about how can we apply that same attitude and thought and dependence on God for the big stuff as we do for the little stuff. So, so to wrap up here, the final little piece of the puzzle is, of course, our, our good friend Abigail goes back. She, of course, comes home and Nabal's drunk. Oh, big surprise there. And uh, waits till he sobers up and then says, oh, by the way, honey, here's what went down yesterday. What? And, oh, yeah, you're about to be killed. And I grabbed a bunch of our stuff and brought it up there and, and uh, asked for forgiveness and you're good. So, so you're welcome. And right there, he had a heart attack. Now, some people wonder, did he have a heart attack because he was about to die? Because she gave away a bunch of his stuff. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, we can't really tell. <laughs> you gave away the what? No, so, uh, 200 fig cakes? What? So, um, I bet he loved him some fig cakes, right? And then 10 days later, right? So, 10 days later, he then actually died. And then there was vengeance. God did, you know, exact the justice that, that he had planned out. But it was not for David to do. And then Abigail then went on to become uh, David's wife, you know? And so, and there's more to it than that, but basically one of his wives. And, uh, but still she went from being saddled with this, this kind of loser to living in the, in the part of the royal family, you know? So it just, her actions had this impact uh, that was felt for generations, you know, if David had done the thing that she prevented him from doing. So, so just want to end with this thought. You know, we'll face just even this week, we're going to face all sorts of situations. We're going to face moments big and small. And, and these, things, the, these things we encounter don't come with labels. You know, you don't get this thing. This email is going to be a big one. You know, this person you're about to meet, is, this is a little thing. This is going to be huge. We have to be ready both for the big things and the little things. And, and I think about how can we embrace the greatest example of, of, of sacrifice. You know, Abigail was such a wonderful Example, take it on me. I, I'm the one. I did it when she really didn't. Is that not a picture of what Jesus Christ did? You know, completely innocent, becomes, lives in human flesh, flawless life, not one sin, not a thing, and yet prevented eternal damnation, eternal separation from God, prevented that from happening from his people by taking it himself. But this is mine. You know, I, I'm the guilty one, even though he wasn't. And God heaped all of our stuff, all those bad, all those unspoken things, all the things we've done, all things we're about to do onto him and then made it possible for us to have a relationship with him. And if you haven't done that, I invite you to please open up. There's a God waiting with open arms to, to accept your, your repentance and, um, and welcome you back into the family. So um, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are again, so gracious to us. And, and it's, it's always exciting to see how you work and even through an insult, through a, a grudge, through potential vengeance, how you call up people to intervene, to step up and to stand in the gap, Lord, and, and be willing to take whatever might come their way, but to do the right thing, to do your will. And Lord, as we think about this week, and about the various tasks that you've called us to, whether it's vacation, whether it's work, whether it's a, a good week or we have things that are gonna be easy. We don't know what's coming our way, Lord, but I pray that each and every moment we'd be fully dependent on you to be seeing in each of those moments your provision, your providence, and your loving plan because you care for us so much. And Lord, please give us the strength and the wisdom to be like Abigail and to stand in the gap and intervene 
to help advance your kingdom for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.